Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. everyone, John Wertheim here. It is this week's Sports Illustrated slash Tennis Channel Tennis Podcast. Today, as promised, our annual French Open preview with the great Lindsay Davenport. Uh, we are both running around like crazy this week, and uh, we are taping this on Tuesday. So the draw has not yet come out. We have projected seeds, but we don't have a draw, so bear that in mind. But we talk about the wide open women's field and Rafa Nadal's tournament to lose. What a terrible way to go into a major, knowing anything less than a title will be considered a disappointment. But that's the reality. Um, All right, fun conversation with uh, our friend Lindsay Davenport. This may as well double as a reminder that the French Open will air on Tennis Channel starting Saturday with a pregame show, starting with matches on Sunday. Remember, the French Open does uh, that three-weekend wraparound with Sunday play. Lindsay and I will both be in Paris for the French Open. We will have periodic coverage and podcasts and Again, television coverage on Tennis Channel. So here's Lindsay and the 2018 French Open. How you uh, how you feeling about this French Open? I don't know. It seems so. Um, it seems like two different, completely different stories of the men and the women. I, I'm I'm inferring that to mean that uh, the women's side is wide open and the men's there might be one favorite. Is that is that what exactly. I'm getting? Exactly. It's just completely two different stories. On the men's side, you think it'd be a, a, a stretch if it wasn't Rafa who wins the title. And on the women's side, you sit there and you have like eight or ten names, I think, on a list. And you think, and you say, yeah, they they could, they should win a slam. They could win the French. Um, but then what happens over the two weeks, you just have no idea on the women's side. Last year we got, uh, what was it, number 47. So uh, it's it's a big field. Um, what, uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, what, let, we can talk specific players in a second, but big picture, what do you attribute this to? I mean, this has been a few years now and obviously Serena's situation, uh, by definition makes this field wide open, but what, 
And I don't even think it's a bad thing, but I've never seen this where tournament in, tournament out, it's just absolute Grand Canyon field. What what do you attribute this to? Uh, Yeah, I mean, you can make a couple different arguments and go a couple different ways with this. One, oh, the field's so strong, there's so much more depth, it's much tougher to dominate. Uh, women's tennis right now, you can make the other argument that there's not a player right now at the very top who has the mentality of a champion, of of a great, great player. And normally in each generation, in each era, there is a great player. There's obviously always very good players, um, very capable players, but do we have this outstanding go down in the history book champion right now playing besides Serena, besides Venus, who is a little bit past the prime of her career. Do we have one of those playing right now? I I, I don't know. Will they develop? I hope so. Their games are there. The physicality is there. It just seems like the mental toughness is missing from a couple of those players. It's so funny because I think if you were on the outside looking in, you say, my gosh, you know, Serena's 36 and coming off a of pregnancy, this is your time. Like, if, if there's any time where suddenly the uh, the doors have swung open, this would be it. And how weird does that sound, right? I mean, we're all just kind of waiting right now for Serena to be back to her, and if it's possible, her normal fighting, um, super motivated Serena self, and you think, yeah, then she'll come back and start dominating. That just seems odd to say that about a player 36 years old. <laughs> Just had a baby, and we're just kind of waiting around till she's ready to take advantage. She's a good beer pong player, I read. Really? Is that right? Did you see that? No, apparently no. she like kicked everyone's ass at the royal wedding uh, playing beer. <laughs> I thought it was an onion headline, and then everyone picked it up. Um, How about Serena? Hold on, going to the royal wedding, obviously going to the night reception, and then being at court, on court in Paris the next yeah, day. Exactly. Chatrier. That <laughs> I think that shows a little bit of where her motivation's at. To be honest, that's uh, that's a good effort. Um, no, that uh, so Serena made tennis proud at that royal wedding. Um, <laughs> I didn't hear that one. The uh, so go da- go down the list. I mean, Hollop comes in; it's your number one seed. She's not won a major. She lost a, a final that, in retrospect, maybe she probably should have won last year. Come off an Australian Open final that was probably a much better effort, though she didn't win there. Did, does she finally break through, Lindsay? I would think so. I I mean, everything is there. The game is there. She is the best mover, especially on clay. I mean, you could maybe put Svitolina up there, but her ability to play defense, to move well for offense, it's all there. It's just whatever demons she fights between the ears seem to get her. I'm not so troubled about close losses. I think every player... Um, in will lose close matches. They, they're going to be up in some matches. They won't win in trying to close out a big match. It, it happens like Australia. She was fighting so hard. Wozniacki makes a couple errors. Halep wins that title. What troubles me more with Halep are the amount of matches she loses 0-1, yep. 3-0, yep. 4-1. She doesn't either show up or she doesn't bother to fight her way back into matches. And for a number one player... I think it was David Law who, who tweeted something out um, a couple days ago. Like, her matches in the last year, she has so many 06 sets, and she has so many matches she loses in under an hour. That, as a number one player, is more troubling to me than a couple of tough losses. What was uh, – so, so she's, she's played Svitolina in 14 sets, and half of them have been uh, 6-0 or 6-1, including and, the, and the final in Rome? As, 
let's take the one win or that win that Halep has against her last year. The French Fidelina was up six three five one. Yeah, right, right. Out on right, Longlin right, right. and didn't close that yeah. out, but that easily. I think she had match point at five one. I mean, that's that's another story storyline that could have been written in Paris last year. That to me is like as I said, that's something that she needs to get a hold of. Okay, you've got to learn to win when you're not playing well, but you have to learn how to fight when you're not playing well and scrap some of these out or make them at least competitive that she's so quick to kind of just turn her back on some of those matches. I, I hope that she gets a handle on that. What about so Wozniacki is our previous major winner, broke through in Australia. Not not a great clay court player, which always kind of mystifies. I mean, you think defense plus athleticism uh, equals clay court success. A little oversimplification, but I always think Wozniacki should be better on clay than she is. Does she keep the Grand Slam bit alive and win two straight majors? I'd be surprised. And if you go back and look at her, some of her best Grand Slam results, um, the U.S. Open's always pretty fast. I mean, she won the Australian Open this year, and it was lightning fast. I think it forces her to be more aggressive. It forces her to take balls earlier and kind of helps her serve. It gets a little sneakier. It slides through the court a little bit better. Um, I I think it's one of those – it doesn't sound like it should be the case, but even though she wants to be more defensive, I think a faster court helps her. I don't see I don't see a French Open title for her. I think with her movement and how fit she is and how consistent she can be, she's always going to be a threat to do well. I just don't know about. I think it, you need a little bit more offensive firepower to actually hit through the slower courts at Roland Garros. Well, I like that theory of yours that the faster court forces her to be aggressive and she can't yeah, revert I mean, to uh, at- QD defense. That's good. Yeah, some of those Hawkeyes at the Australian Open, she was taking the balls yeah, early. Right, 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 right. She was up on that baseline. Uh, I thought it made her play uh, some of her best tennis, and I think a lot of that, obviously she, you have to have the right mentality. I want to take balls early. I want to play more offensive. But I think that the fast court also forced her to do that. Svitolina is like the, uh, the, the Zverev of the women. A lot of titles. Totally. Not a lot of success uh, in, in the big boys. Um, she, she wins Rome, of course which probably ought to fire her with some, some self-belief. Does she finally break through? Uh, it's coming. It's the same thing. She's, she's too good, and she has too much success at the other tournaments for it not to translate into Grand Slam success. Sometimes it takes players a little bit longer to be comfortable being a favorite at a major. Sometimes the day off in between, especially in women's tennis, can kind of almost play wreak havoc with some some players than just when they have to play five out of six five out of seven days um i don't know if you saw her in rome but amazingly she looked even fitter like her you can the muscle tone that she's now showing it looks like she even dropped some body fat she wants it so badly you can just tell this is a player that besides practicing on court is spending hours and hours in the gym trying to become the best athlete she can be um so for her, I think it also is a bit mental. And when is she going to get through that? Maybe the confidence in all these tournaments helps her start to feel more comfortable being a favorite at a slam. But no question, she's either the best or second best clay quarter right now in women's tennis. And hopefully she walks around the French Open buying into that, believing it, and, and doing what she can do on the court there. I don't know who. I mean, you go through the list and you can sort of argue pro and con. Everyone, you know, Mugu won this thing two years ago, but is back to sort of uh, hot and cold tennis. I mean, it's boy. I don't. Are there any names that are just jumping out? You know, uh, 
Kiki Burton's a uh, nice, nice clay court player. But I don't. Is there any name that just jumps out at you here? Well, who had Ostapenko last year? Yeah. It would be amazing. I mean, before be coming into the tournament, like <clears throat> nobody, right? No one <clears throat> ever really thought she had dude. a chance to win. Dude, dude, were you not sitting next to me when we picked what? her to win the event? No, but we didn't pick her to win. We were like doing a waterfall <laughs> of just players. Kidding. It was like <laughs> forty-two. <laughs> just kidding. Um, no, I you're right. Know. I mean, I don't, but is there seriously? Is there? I you know I just they're literally I mean this this is not an exaggeration. Any of forty players could win this event. I feel like. I, I totally agree. I, I mean, looking even at the ranking list right now, I mean, interesting. You have some big names like Sharapova and Serena, who'll be kind of floating around, but. What's not to say if they're healthy, like Sybil Kova catches fire, Makarova, right? right? I, I mean, it's it's pretty crazy. And then you have the players that have done well at times. You said Burton, Osaka, can she play well on the clay? I, I what about? I mean, we haven't even talked about Kvitova, right? And well, <laughs> yeah, well, okay, that's taking. that's a name that jumps out, right? I wouldn't have thought so about a month ago or five weeks ago, but with a couple of titles. She comes in with a stronger belief. I actually think those titles, especially Madrid, are going to help her more on the grass than mm-hmm. necessarily at Roland Garros. Um, but there's you, not there's not an overwhelming favorite. You know what? Who's, whenever Kvitova is mentioned and players like her, you know what we always say? It's well, she knows what it takes to win a major. Do you, is that accurate? I mean, it's, it's, it sounds sort of pad and it sounds intuitive. But is there? Do we? Is that accurate? I mean, do you think that um, makes a difference? Yes and no. I think what it takes to win Wimbledon, though, is a little bit different from the other three. Um, I feel like Wimbledon, you can hide your nerves easier than you can at the other majors. Like one good serve and kind of like Uh, sets you at ease. The matches don't get quite as physical. You get a different kind of soreness, but you don't mentally you don't have to really battle for three and a half hours most likely or build points, it's kind of like big serve, big hit, and you can kind of settle back down. Having said that, there is the media pressure, there is the oddness of being one of just two players, sometimes the doubles players left on the final weekend, and there's the mental pressure. But game-wise, I think it's easier to kind of slide through on the grass than it is on some of the other surfaces, especially compared to the French Open. Totally. What? what um, so you're you're a parent. I'm a parent. Um, if if one is like the eye roll and two is you're really upset and you take your kid's phone away, what's your outrage level for what uh, Pliskova did the other day? My phone, the phone away. You That's like, ox- it's like taking oxygen. Eight, you've, you, you've really got to uh, – no, but you you've re- if you take your phone away, that means you've really – it's like taking no, oxygen I'm, away I'm, from the emphysema patient. That's like really – I'm not there yet. <laughs> My oh, kids man. aren't that old. That's, have that's one, a but, nuclear uh, option. Uh, that was that unbelievable what happened to Klishkova. Okay. It's just crazy. I I put so much blame on the chair umpire and also, I mean, obviously the linesman. But you know, the linesman, the chair umpire asked the linesman to find a mark. The, they did not try. She kind of just shrugged her shoulders, like, "Oh, I don't know." The umpire went with that within about five <laughs> right, seconds. Right. Not even like, "Okay, this is the vicinity it landed in." There's not that many marks on the far sideline on That's exactly or around the right. line. That's what got me exactly. Service line right. and baseline. Like, put a little effort in. <laughs> exactly. Then also, you can look at Plishkov in the eyes and say, "There's no mark." 
So the whole thing was weird. You could tell the umpire should have been able to tell by the body language of Sakari that the ball was in. Both of them. Obviously, if the ball's out, the opponent's like circling it, walks away, like just go back to the other side, your ball was out. So there was – anyways, Pliskova was totally within her right. Then you see where the ball lands. I, I I had nothing but sympathy for her. Five all deuce in the third. You hit a winner three inches inside the line, and it's ridiculous. I I, uh, I I feel for her mental anguish in that match. What is the the, the code of the Hammurabi says what about um, Sakari? Do you do you concede that point, or is that listen? The officials are here for they're doing their job. I'm staying out of this. You know, it, I, I don't judge players on that kind of stuff. Like it's so hard. Do you get involved? Do you not get involved? Um, I, I, she did, I heard her say at one time, well, do you want to replay the point? And that didn't even get taken. I, she did offer that. I kind of feel like you, the umpire should have better control. I, I fully blame the umpire. I did watch a match with Nishikori and Djokovic and they kept giving each other calls. And the one time the umpire came down for Nishikori, Novak looked at the mark, couldn't find one. K walks up and goes, yeah, just take it. You know, you were... The umpire made the wrong mark. So I I think it's – I hate to put the onus on the player. Um, There was maybe too much chaos to take into effect what was going on. So you're not so upset when the chair gets banged and uh, she's like – I mean, that was obviously taking it a step far, but I, I, I sympathize with where she was emotionally. I'm totally with you on the – I mean, apart from the fact she hit the ball, like, that was, you know, it was, it was a shot that a club player makes ninety-five times out of a hundred. It was the the fact that neither player reacted as though she missed the shot should have been <laughs> your first clue. Um, She's got to read a little body language if you're the chair umpire there. That was uh, gosh. When you watch that replay, look where the shot actually landed. Yeah. Um, anyway, I'd be uh, surprised if we saw her in the chair anytime soon at a big match because it just seems like there'd be too much focus on the chair umpire compared to the player. Yeah, exactly. Um, what about uh, the the big debate over whether Serena should have been seated and maternity leaves and the Family Leave Act of the WTA? Strong thoughts? Yeah, there's a couple. I mean, there's so many different storylines there. I mean, the most recent being the French Open declining to seed her. I don't think they've ever gone outside the seeds to seed a player. I think it was Carol Bouchard who, who wrote, they didn't even change their, they didn't even bump Rafa up when he was injured a couple right, years ago. Right. So then that starts to make a little bit more sense. I kind of, the whole theory, the whole rule needs to be changed, needs to be looked at um, more in detail. But in, in the history of we ever had a player, one in the world, just win a major, say, pause, I'll be back in 15 months, I'm going to have a baby, I think that's unprecedented, and now the WTA has to adjust to that now being a possibility moving forward. I, I guess, but, you know, I, I would cite uh, Lindsay Davenport, among others. Kim Clare, certainly if, there's certainly a track record here of players, maybe, not, as well. maybe not number one there. in the world, but, I mean, this, this I just, the, the one thing I'm hung up on is when, oh, the WTA needs to change, and I always feel like there's so much packed into that statement, because you want to say to the players, Guys, your tour, like you're you're not necessarily beholden to the suits in the boardroom. Like, I I'm totally with you. Change the policy, but you've you've got some power here. Yeah, you know there was that there was that brief argument about special seating. They've used it a few times. I know that only because I was a recipient recipient of it because of a knee surgery. 
Um, I was surprised that never really seemed to get any traction. I remember talking to Madison about it, like, oh, do you think they'll seed her, you know, for a handful of tournaments? And she kind of looked at me like, really? I, I didn't even think that was a possibility. Um, that's when the players need to start standing up for themselves, fighting for each other. It just doesn't seem to be easily done on the WTA tour. Yeah, I mean, the, the other thing, too, is it takes away a wild card, right, in, in a lot of these cases? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, an opportunity for another player to get in, absolutely. And there's not a player that I don't think, if you ask them, honestly, even off the record, would say Serena shouldn't be seated. I, I think everyone yeah, exactly. would be like, yeah, exactly. where that number is would maybe cause a little bit more argument than should she be seated at eight tournaments, six tournaments, ten tournaments, whatever that number is. I was thinking that too. A year ago, we were having a similar discussion about Maria coming back and should she get wild cards and, and she's coming off the doping list. Very different set of circumstances here. But, yeah, um, completely different. What, exactly. What are, your, uh, what are your expectations for Serena? Uh, better, I think. I think smart of her to actually take a big chunk of time off, train. I always get more excited or start to believe in it more when – she really puts that effort in. She's been at Morata Glues Academy. There's been multiple videos and pictures of her on-court training. Um, you know, going into Indian Wells, I, if it was done privately, maybe it was. There was no pictures of her on court with Patrick. There wasn't. It didn't seem like a big collaboration between the two of them leading into those tournaments. It. So then we kind of question: Is she really ready? How much time has she been hitting? It looked like she was a little rusty in the spring. I, I expect more from her, whether it comes in Paris or whether it comes at Wimbledon. You just feel like she's really starting to build and starting to really put her energies into coming back and being successful winning tournaments and hopefully winning slams again. You mentioned that practice. I don't, don't, uh, don't, don't jump in here if you don't want to, but I, I had heard that there were some questions about motivation and uh, there was some concern that sort of, did did she really want it? And you know, totally understandable. She's she's a new mother. There's there's a physical dimension, but there's an emotional dimension to this too. And there were questions about was she willing to put in the time? How are they going to? How is the camp going to sort of push the right buttons to get that competitive instinct uh, back? And it seems to be the case now. Just uh, just observing from afar. But um, I I think. Uh, I mean, you know, Serena on clay at age 36, even without child, is, is always going to be a challenge for her. But I think yeah. this certainly bodes well for uh, for next month, for, for grass. Exactly. And I think that you've got to have more, not too long-term a vision in, but a vision of, is was it likely she was going to win the French anyways? She's won it, obviously, a couple of times, but is that her favorite surface? Historically, no. But the more tennis she gets under her belt, going into Wimbledon, going into the summer hardcourt series here in the States, the U.S. Open, I think the better. And what about, uh, there is another multiple-time French Open winner um, in the conversation. What do you expect from uh, Maria now with a new coach and some, some nice momentum after Rome? Yeah, it seems like that bit of intensity, that bit of like fire is back in Maria, her behavior, her game. Um, there's no question that Hogstead is, has lit some kind of fire under Maria and gotten her to be more aggressive on the court. Um, I think she's definitely a threat. We just, I just worry physically from what we've seen over the last year. 
if she can win seven really physical matches on red clay, she obviously has the day off to, to rest. I'm, I'm well aware of all that. It's just been all the injuries that have occurred to her the last year. But there's no one who competes better than she does. She seems to have found now a nice gear for her. Can that beat a Svitolina or a Halep, a, a really good retriever on this surface? That is what I think we're kind of waiting to see. And based on where she is, her number, I think she's seated around 2930. I, mean, I think you get one of the top four, if not top eight in the third round, I believe. It'll be a big match for her probably in, in round three. Um. Yeah, I mean, I I think I I don't know. Do do we make too big a deal out of momentum? In, uh, uh, in no, tennis? I think I think if it had been before Rome, I think she goes in with a lot less momentum. I think the same with Novak. You need a little bit of of positive belief and energy to be able to turn it on. I think also as you get older, you know, you're always hoping. Oh, I hope I can get back to that level. And then when you do, even if it's brief or for one match or for two matches. You, then you really start to kind of put it together like, okay, I can still do this. Now I just have to do it a little bit more often. Right. I mean, I just, you know, it's, and I don't know if it's the, if it's age, if it's layoff, if it's cumulative, it just, I, I'm totally with you that it does seem like asking Maria Sharapova right now to win seven matches in, in 14 days seems like an awfully big ask in a way that it didn't three years ago. Yeah. Agreed. Um, all right. So super soaker to the head. Uh, Who's your pick? <laughs> Who's my pick? Uh, I'm going to go with Rafa and um, I'm going to go Svitolina. I'd like to see the draw first, um, but there was something about how she played, how she defended her title in Rome. Physically, her her strength really stood out to me. It just seemed like she's working, working like Murray every minute of the day to try and achieve her dream. Uh, I just think it's going to happen for her at, at some stage here pretty soon. It's funny, too, because she's gr- great athlete. I mean, I, I'd put her as one of the better athletes out there. Um, the same way Wozniacki is bigger than I think a lot of people would suspect. Svitolina, you stand next to her, and she she can't be more than 5'6", five, 5'7". Five, yeah. <laughs> um, what, what is that? You know, I think... Let me do the math in my head real quick. You were 20, 22, I think, when you won the Open. Mm-hmm. So the book on her is gr- great player week in, week out. Slam results have not kept pace, much much like Zverev, like we were talking about. Um, you didn't really you didn't really have to contend with that too much, but I, I imagine that's considerable pressure for a top-four player. This notion of tennis sort of skeptically saying, you know, are, are you varsity or JV? Like, great that you can get it done at the tournaments in February and March, but we're still waiting for you to break through. I, I imagine that's considerable pressure to bring to these to these majors. It is, and it, it accumulates each one that passes by. Right, right. And, you know, is it, again, as successful as she is on the tour, winning her last six finals, winning all these premier titles, you know, people start to get impatient, and they start to talk about, okay, so why hasn't happened on the Grand Slam level? For Zverev, you can make the argument, well, three out of five sets, whether that's physical or emotional energy, it is a different kind of beast at a, at a major that you kind of have to learn how to handle. Women's tennis, you don't really have that excuse or that reason, so then you start to think, okay, what sets her off at majors? Is it the pressure? Is it the, for whatever reason? Hopefully her team is working with her to try and get her in that 
space where she can play her best tennis. Because if she can play her best tennis, she will win a major. If you go off who's won one the last couple of years, her tennis is just too high of a level to to not win one. Right. She's a really solid player. All right, I give you uh, – I'll I'll take the field. You take Nadal. Are you are you happy with that proposition? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> can you imagine any scenario in which he doesn't win? I think an injury. I do. I think with three out of five sets on that surface, with his success, it's so early, so we don't have a draw. The weather's forecasted to be pretty good right, next week, right. pretty hot. I, I, who who do you see beating him? That's the question. We were talking about that. We, I mean, you're right. The injury is kind of, unfortunately, the big wild card inspector that hangs out there. I think you're right that best of five changes Everything I'm almost tempted to think. We were talking about this uh, a few weeks ago, I think, with Michael Chang that he's he might be more vulnerable early. That it's it's some sleepy you know Wednesday in round two, and he has a flat day. But remember last year? I mean those those last two rounds were comedy shows. I mean that that final was just a joke. I I feel like that with other players, like maybe early on in a major, but his ability to create intensity, engagement, energy. He plays like each set against whoever he's playing like it is the most important set of his life. I, I've never seen that before. It's, that's what like sets him apart. I mean, obviously you can talk about the spin, the physicality, but his ability to, to take the 110th ranked player as seriously as he does the number two ranked or number three ranked player in a big match is, is unprecedented. Isn't that crazy? I mean, I think we... Um... We used to hear him say that, right? And and you'd say, "Hey, you're you're playing uh, Joe, Joe the plumber in round three. and he would sigh and say, "Oh, I'm going to have to be at my sharpest. He's a very dangerous player." And people, I, I think he genuinely, authentically has convinced himself. I mean, I, I don't think he's the champion that's like overflowing with self confidence anyway. But I I don't think it's bullshit. I mean, I th- I think he's genuinely gotten to a point where he fears every single opponent. I just think he has that. I, I've never seen it. Never, ever seen it. That he thinks, he definitely speaks it. I don't know if he thinks he can lose to Joe the plumber, but he definitely behaves and acts like that on the court with giving his opponent the utmost respect, giving them the belief, you know, letting them think that, okay, he does take me seriously because he's trying so hard and giving a fist pump in the first game. Exactly. <laughs> it's, just, it's amazing. It's a, for all the athletes, you know, we talk about like irrational confidence. You know, the, the NBA guys that think they're better than LeBron James, they just haven't been put in the right position. That We have these irrational – Not Nadal's like the irrational lack of confidence guy. Um, <laughs> anyway, so uh, I don't know. Djokovic is obviously the other kind of wild card hanging out there. And, and almost really a while. I mean, you know, he's, he almost didn't get seated. Um, thoughts, uh, expectations for – not unlike Maria coming off a, a nice roam but still – I would think a fair fair distance away from uh, the peak of his game. Are we finally seeing him coming out of this funk? I think so. I think Rome was huge for Novak to win four matches. It had been a long time since that had happened. To see the fire, sometimes it was positive energy. At other times, it was looking over at his camp yelling. It was the eyes, the big eyes and the really focused eyes. All of that was a good sign, even though he lost to Rafa. It just seemed like he was back in business like this is where I want to be this is what I want to be doing 
and it seemed like he was building to his game. And we couldn't say that in the spring. We were still we were watching him play, wondering, wonder why he's playing. He doesn't look healthy. He doesn't look like he wants to be there. That all changed in Rome. Now, does it click in in Paris next week as well, or does it is that bode well for the summer? It just seems like he's on more of the right path right now and last week than he was a couple months ago. I still baffling story though, right? Overall. It, everybody wants to know exactly what has happened the last 24 months because when he left Paris in 2016, I mean we were talking like okay, maybe he's going to finish with the most grand slam titles ever. Right, this right. guy is so good and dominant. He just did something Roger and Rafa couldn't do, which was hold all four at once. Like this is crazy and then poof, it seemed to just disappear. That is one of the big mysteries. Have you I mean he he's been to uh so you're right. Two two years ago today, he he whatever wins the French Open 2016 halfway to the Grand Slam, and you're right. We're talking about is this guy gonna? He's younger than the the youngest of the three. Is he gonna take down Roger and Rafa? He's made one Grand Slam semi since then. One well, maybe one day we'll get the story right. That, I don't know. I mean, it's I've never seen certainly not in tennis. Never seen anything like it. Um. All right. What else? Uh, anything else? Um. On your mind? You're, you're okay? This is the last French Open, uh, at least in the near future, with uh, 32 seeds? The, the, move, the move to 16, uh, do you get, is that, get worked is up that about staying? that? Is that I mean, I heard the rumors and that they wanted to. That That is set. So, Aussie Open 2019, 16 seeds? I believe that has been passed. I, we'll check, I can't we'll stand it. It's it, crazy, I'm right? so against it. I'm with you. That it. I, I don't know. I played both. I played half my career with 16 seeds. I played half my career with 32. It is. I do not see an argument for 16. And I'd love to sit down with someone who could explain to me why they think 16 seeds are good. You don't think that the player ranked 20 in the world who's worked their absolute ass off for 50 weeks in a 128 draw deserves a seed. Right. And also, what, what do we always say about tennis? That Tiger Woods can have a lousy round and he can make it up and still get four days out of him. What the shame of tennis is that one upset and your star is out of the draw. Would, wouldn't you want to protect your top 32 players as much as possible? I mean, I just... It's, it's like you can argue, oh, you shouldn't protect the top players. I Listen, I was seated at the Australian Open one year, I think two. I got Dockage first round. She was 17. Like, wow, that seemed tough. One year at Wimbledon, I don't know what I was seated. I got Gigi Fernandez, who was next to be seated again at 17, got her first round. Like, I lived it. I get it. <laughs> but it's more, I think it's more, it's not even protecting the top players. I think it's rewarding the players 17 and 32 exactly. Exactly. who are the heart and soul of the tour, who work their, being 20 in the world, that's pretty darn good. And now you're saying that they should be treated as the hundredth ranked player right. in the world and just thrown into the mix? I it's it's it does, makes zero sense to me. Also, what TV can have a good matchup on a Monday night? Like it's ridiculous. I don't. I don't. Uh, I mean, basically, what you're saying right now, if you're 17 to 32, it's not going to be until the third round that you play a higher ranked opponent, and by then you've presumably made a nice chunk of change in the tournament. I mean, I just. Who, who's the person that goes into the boardroom and says, yes, this is the issue that I feel strongly about that we've got to get on the agenda? I know, exactly. Um, and then they all agree. That, that made no sense to me either. The slams, I guess. I was surprised the tour, and maybe they have been. I, I don't know. I, I tried to just stop following that because I'm like, there's no way people are actually going to let this pass. That I just figured, okay, by the time we get to Australia, it would have worked itself out to staying at 32 seeds. 
Um, oh, Liz, just... that's too rational for ten. You know what we're gonna have now too? We're gonna we're gonna have thirty-two seeds at a ninety-six draw and sixteen seeds yeah, at the exactly. slam. Yeah, Indian Wells in Miami, isn't that that's so true? Oh my goodness, exactly. Ah, but we love this sport anyway. Um, all right, so you're going Rafa and um, Patrick Fidova. I'll and take. You get the field, uh, and I'll take who are you taking on the women's side? I'll take Svitolina in the field. No, I'm kidding. You said Svitolina. Um, yeah. All right. This uh, this was great. We obviously we will say this in the intro, but we did this prior to the draw. So when uh, you know Sharapova plays, uh, p- pick a name at random. I don't know. Uh, when there, when yeah, there was a dynamite first round or, match. Or Serena, uh, or Serena takes out Svitolina. Yeah, exactly. First round. <laughs> exactly. Crazy. exactly. Serena the draw gets was not done. Right. <laughs> Serena gets Sharapova off the bat. We'll know that something was exactly. Oh um, my gosh! Can you imagine? All right, go. Uh, you got a few more days of kid school. Go to your performances. Exactly. Sit on small chairs and bleachers, and uh, we'll see you in Paris. See you soon. All right. Thanks, friend. All right, thanks to our guest, Lindsay Davenport. Always a pleasure talking tennis with uh, Lindsay. Easy to see why she is so well-liked as a commentator, and I would say as a human being overall. Uh, so thanks to Lindsay, and thanks as always to our producer, Jamie Lasanti. We will bring Jamie in right now on the eve of the French Open. Not really the eve, but with a few eves left to go. Uh, before the 2018 French Open, you want to jump in on this and uh, throw some picks our way you had uh, who'd you have last week you you said Holop, who's coming off a uh, bruising loss in the Rome final but that happened last year too that's true you're right same uh, same same deal and she beats Vitalina, um the player who beat her in Rome she beat her in the French Open last year in a match she was nearly out of anyway um what do you uh in general let, let me ask you the question I asked Lindsay especially as a um a female athlete of note uh what do you make of the fact that this field remain so wide open i i don't again i don't think it's a bad thing i think as, as a fan especially when it's balanced against the men it, it makes for sort of a fun fan experience but uh no one has exactly risen and banged their gavel down and said you know what serena's out now it's my turn um thoughts i think at the end of last year we got like a little taste of that i think Caroline Wozniacki winning sort of made it feel like, you know, she hadn't won and she finally broke through, um, felt a little bit. But this year, I agree, there has been a sort of lackluster performance across the board in a way of no one really breaking out. Uh, I I really hope Halep does get that breakthrough. I mean, she's number one in the world. Wozniacki got hers at the yeah, U.S. Open. Right. I mean... No, if you're, if you're, you're totally one right, too. Well, yeah, true. So, I mean, then you go down the go down the list, and then, like, you guys were talking about Svitolina. I just, if you had to choose between Halep and Svitolina. From a tennis perspective or a storyline? No. Who deserves who, it? Uh, karmic justice Well, that's what I was going to say. Like, and you, you really, are you really going to pick against Halep in that sense? I mean, I just think it would be so heartbreaking if she got to that point and I, I don't think this is specific to tennis uh even though tennis kind of matches up very well like that i mean the thing about golf right is you, you have a top three finish in a major and you're psyched you're celebrating that night you've got champagne you're riding a wave of confidence i mean in tennis you outright lose 127 of the 128 players are coming off a loss when that tournament is over um and i do think also the the pity for Holop is right now she has this mantle of best player never win a major mm-hmm. and she got to number one, but she never won a major. It's nice. Especially as you think about 
your career in broad strokes if that isn't the top line of your resume. When Carolyn Wozniacki now, for whatever she does the rest of her career, retire tomorrow and she will be known first and foremost as Grand Slam champion Carolyn Wozniacki. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that's a lot of pressure for a player to bear. I think most players know at some level the reality. It would be a real pity if if Hala, for all she's done, doesn't get one of these so she can leave the sport as a Grand Slam champion. And that's considering the current field. I mean, it it almost makes it worse that that's what the the field yeah, is. Yeah, I mean, that's you what know, I was getting out with. Is. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, that's what I was getting out with, with Lindsay, which is it's one thing to say, boy, when Serena Williams ruled the land. I mean, I think a- Andy Roddick won one slam, but I think people recognize the guy was in the top 10 for whatever it was, 10 straight years, and he got to half a dozen major finals. And in the era of Federer Nadal Djokovic, that's an awfully nice career. Um, now you say, boy, Serena's ranked in the 400s and Venus is... 37 years old, and Sharapova is not at the prime uh, of, of her career either. Boy, if she couldn't win a major under those circumstances, uh, things really must have been awry. Um, and I think Nadal is sort of an interesting, uh, you know, sort of the imagine every, the everyone. Opposite, yeah, really. 127 players are looking up, and their necks are pointed uh, upwards. He, the best thing he could possibly do is hold court and meet expectation. Hey, I don't know what's worse. I mean, is it the the against all odds or is it the the weight of the lofty expectations but for someone like Nadal in Paris on this court I mean like it you gotta feel like it gets a little easier for him you know like is it I don't know I mean it's really I think we uh well he's going for number 11 and ever it's a little bit like with Serena Williams we we roll our eyes but is I, there I think ever a comfort level um I'll give you one which is doesn't Novak Djokovic's swoon put what Federer and Nadal have done, and, and to, in fairness, Djokovic before that, into perspective? We, we think it's automatic, and we think it's just, hey, it's just it's preordained. Nadal's going to win this thing, or Federer and Nadal are each going to win six matches and get to the final. What's going on with Djokovic now is a pretty good reminder that nothing is to be taken for granted, and it's pretty extraordinary when these guys win as consistently as they do. And it may, it makes what he did during like Lindsay was saying that much more remarkable because he was so consistent for so long and there was many times where we were like who's going to beat him you know and and he was basically unstoppable and so um no you're right one little one crowbar in the gears and the whole like machinery goes goes on the fritz um on the taylor fritz as it were all right that um We'll see how this goes. Maybe you and I will talk during the French Open. Now that I say that on live air, uh, you're going to feel compelled to do it, right? Of course. We'll talk from uh, we'll talk from Paris and check in periodically. But um, no, this this should be it's a bit of a strange event. I mean, it's it's rare too. We obviously had it last year. It's rare that someone who won the first major would take themselves out of Grand Slam contention voluntarily. Uh, that's happening with Federer, obviously. Then again, at age 36, you. Uh, Get to make your own scheduling choices, and I, th- I think his track record is, is un- unimpeachable there. But uh, it's, it's Nadal on the men's side, a wide-open field on the women's side. French Open starts Sunday on Tennis Channel. Jamie, as always, thank you for your time. Thank you for your time. Thanks to Lindsay Davenport for uh, our annual French Open preview, and we will have some dispatches from the French Open. Enjoy the tennis, everyone. Have a good week, and we'll have another podcast in seven days. Take care. Mm-hmm.